What's going on people? How are we doing? How are we doing? Another episode of the Great Definition Podcast. Now today, um, you know, I'll start a little bit later because I wanted to I wanted to really try and um get this this episode right so you guys could really understand where I'm going with this. It's called the importance of creating in 2019. Now there's a lot to talk about and there's some clips I want to play to you guys of some history that I truly believe is relevant today just due to how a lot of the young, young entrepreneurs are actually and creatives and designers you know um, and even older ones as well like guys that have been in this game for years man from like the 80s that are coming out and reinventing ways to create and design now in order to understand this we need to understand the history that I'm about to explain to you guys which is um, a brief history about the Moors now the Moors are a people um, of obviously African descent they are a mixture of different types of African like I would say um, African groups um, a lot of people say these guys are Muslims or they were Muslims yes they were Muslims um, not every single one of them not all of them um, it was a mixture of Christians inside the Moorish faith as well. Sorry, in the Moorish culture. And even Moors itself is like a a term created by Europeans to obviously identify these people as black. So they're Africans. These people are Africans. Um, they're coming out of Morocco and um, places like Senegal, um, who obviously these people originated from the far east or what we call the Middle East today. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mix up of so much different things. But anyway. Um, the point I'm trying to make is obviously their influence in art, architecture and culture into uh, Europe, firstly Spain. But how it all starts is, and I'm just going to just correct myself to see um, if I've got all my facts right. But I mean, I know with this stuff, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of miscommunication on what, when exactly, dates and who and whatnot. But I'm just going to give you guys a brief overview, yeah? So a bit of a history lesson right now, so bear with me, but it's relevant to what I'm speaking about when it comes to um, 2019, when it comes to graphic design, entrepreneurs, and obviously stuff I'm going to speak about later. So I've got one or two clips I'm going to play in a minute, but let me just explain to you who the Moors are. So obviously the story starts off with... Um, there's a, a king called Julian or a guy called Julian in Spain and I think he's um, obviously involved with like, you know, the hierarchy and marries his daughter into or gives his daughter to a guy called Roderick. Um, so Rockford. Um, no, no, no. Sorry. Yeah, it's uh, Roderick. What's his name again? Let me see if I can find his name. But um, yeah, Roderick. And obviously he's like a rule at the time. And yeah, basically what happened was uh, Julian gave his daughter to go and learn from Roderick um, just about, you know, education, history and whatnot. And Roderick, uh, you know, unfortunately decided to rape her, abuse her and literally like just, you know, terrorise the, the young ladies. So obviously um, with this happening, um, Julian's very upset and goes back to Africa um, North Africa at the time, which I think was, um, if I'm correct, it was Morocco, Algeria, where he went back to. Um, because again, you have to understand, guys, with history, right? Um, and especially with like a lot of African history, you know, today it has been warped and painted to side with 
um, a lot of the dominant society views, a lot of the dominant societies that are ruling right now. So, you know, things won't add up. So I would advise you guys to do your own research if you don't believe what I'm saying or if you feel you, you know, know more, <laughs> do your own research. It's always good to do your own research and just understand it yourself because again, you're going to find things that are very like one-sided. So anyway, so this guy's done this to this guy. Roderick has done this to Julian's daughter. So Julian's obviously gone back to Africa and told the Africans there that, look, this is what's happened. You know, Spain is just going mad right now. It was under the rule of the uh, Vis Viscoffs, if I'm pronouncing it right, in the Iberian Peninsula. So this is obviously like Spain. And... Um, yeah, the Viscoffs, if I can remember in history, they were very kind of like violent people, um, a bit savagery, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know a lot of these people came from Northern Europe and, you know, they were responsible for crushing the last bit of the Roman Empire. So once the Roman Empire fell, you're now seeing the beginning stages of the Dark Ages in Europe. So, you know, when you hear a lot of people in Europe and Great Britain talk about... Um, you know, the Dark Ages, the Dark Ages, back in like um, 780, maybe even before then. Um, this is basically near enough what they're talking about, you know. And as great empires fall, um, new ones arise. Now, it all depends on what intention they arise for. So obviously these guys have come in to seek revenge. Um, these Africans have gone in and said, look, like, I think they were under the leadership of a... African army under leadership of a guy called Tariq Tariq in Imban Zayed if I'm pronouncing it right and anyway they crossed over to the Strait of Gibraltar from Northern Africa and obviously began the invasion and they won um, and obviously as time went on the Spaniards tried to fight but eventually you know they folded and the conquest had gone to you know Africans so Moors are starting to rule now as they're starting to rule now they're realising that like parts of Portugal, parts of Italy, most of Northern Europe is like literally like there's a lot of suffering going on, a lot of poverty, there's a lot of um, disease, famine. So the Moors coming from a cultural system um, dedicated and obviously aligned by the ancient Kemet, who the Greeks obviously learnt from as well, they turned around and said, right, um, you know, the Greeks took this information taught it to the Romans, the Romans then conquered the Greeks, took this information and went and conquered Europe. You know, and Julius Caesar, Marcus Licinius Crassus and um, Pompey as well, all these guys just went around conquering, oppressing and, you know, they built good, great things but again, it was very much like under the oppression of other people. So the Moors were like, look, like, let's change this, let's bring in the, the, the culture, the knowledge, the history and, you know, let's teach these guys that there's more to life than just what they're living right now. So and this is exactly what they're doing now. And, um, you know, they're bringing in this vast amount of um, knowledge that's equated to a lot of the things you're seeing now that's come out of Europe. So the Renaissance, a lot of that is based off the Moorish influence of art and architecture. Um, when you're looking at places like... Uh, if I can remember, just that mosque. There was a mosque. Um, oh, what was it called again? Let me see if I could find it. One second. There was a mosque um, in Spain. And it's like literally 
it's filled up with there's a lot of like gold um writings and stuff on the wall and if you, if you go in there it's proper nice like it's proper beautiful and um uh let me see if i could find it um no nah, i can't find it at the moment i need to get back to you guys on that i'll put that up inside oh that was it oh, i found it yep so the great mosque of cardiboya or cardibol um also known as la mezquita if i'm pronouncing it right spanish people that are listening correct me if i'm wrong because <laughs> i'm not really good at speaking spanish um but yeah anyway up until now still one of the architectural wonders of the world um you know obviously the spanish people are going to disagree with that because again you know it, it resulted in them losing obviously their, their country and what people have to understand is this yeah when you're dealing with history the people are not always the same as the people are today so if you're looking at ancient um let's just say uh ancient rome you know the way the romans behaved and the way the romans are if you go to italy right now you probably wouldn't find people like that you may have traits of the Roman Empire scattered across the world and obviously certain people, you know, through the elites may have practiced this. But anyway, I'm just going to explain to you guys that, you know, people, because when you're when you're when I'm talking to you about Spain and other countries and you're thinking, Robert, these people have come over and done that to this person and Roderick's done this. It's all crazy. History itself is literally, you know, filled with madness. But there's a lot of good light. There's a lot of great positive things you can receive from this. So, again, like I said. I'm getting to the history, but anyway, Moors, back to the Moors now. So they've got a great mosque, um, uh, La Mazquita, um, also known as the Great Mosque of Carbodar, and obviously it's like got, I think it's got like a thousand columns inside of it, and the columns are built of marble and jasper, and uh, Paul, Paul Porphyry, or Paul Porphyry, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but anyway, um, it's lit up by thousands of brass and silver lamps, which obviously burned perfumed oil. So again, these things weren't in Europe at the time. So the Moors have built these things and brought them in. Now, there's one interesting thing about this uh, particular mosque as well, which is sometimes known as a church due to like the way it's been set up and built. Um, I want to play you a clip here uh, from... First, actually, let me play you a clip from... Dr. Kaaba Hayawifa Khamenei. Um, he's a scholar and lecturer and teacher in New York City um, in America. And basically he was on this documentary called It In Colors and he talks about the Moors. This is just a brief clip I want you guys just to understand, you know, what these guys were doing and where they're coming from. So yeah, uh, listen up. Africans brought this knowledge into Europe. And in bringing this knowledge into Europe, the Knights and other organizations were born out of this. And peoples of European descent were exposed to alchemy. Okay? The periodic table of elements, the laboratories, how to take information, how to take elements and atoms, and to begin to manipulate them to make them into different types of molecules. The basic one is hydrogen, two hydrogen is helium, three hydrogen is lithium, Six is carbon, eight is oxygen. So you, so, so you have this alchemy that's going to come and they're going to begin to study, they're going to begin to learn, they're going to become, they're, they're going to create societies that's going to develop an understanding. This is going to be what eventually is going to become Freemasonry because only a select group of people in 
Europe is going to be exposed to this information because the secret of Mason. Right. So you hear that, right? He's talking about what they did, how they brought in alchemy. And alchemy is very interesting because when you're dealing with alchemy, it's, what you, it's similar to what you see in modern day science, you know, the mixture of molecules and whatnot. But there's an art form that comes with it. And I've realized that with a lot of um, stuff that I've done with like logo design and branding, when I've been able to um, have the opportunity to go over color concepts with people, um, you will find that, uh, how can I explain it? So if you're dealing with like, um, uh, if you're dealing with anything to say with beauty, so with perfume oils and whatnot, obviously this is a form of alchemy because you're mixing again, um, scented herbs or scented flavors from um, certain plants or herbs and whatnot, like lavender, um, if you're dealing with jazz, is it jazz, the jasmine flower um, or jasmine itself, uh, you know, and then you're mixing that with liquids such as rosemary oil and whatnot to create a long lasting effect of scent. Whenever I'm designing um, logos around that or brands around that, around health and beauty or perfumes or stuff like that or cosmetics I would say there's always a, there's a hint of light I wouldn't even say luminous but light saturated colours because if you get like a a peacock sorry if you get like a, a a peachy pink yeah you know and then you get something like a uh, 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 I don't know like a um, um, like an emerald green you know these are these are like they're, they're not dark colors they're a little bit saturated but they do have that calm feel to them and i do feel that 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 does affect my way of me seeing how to color grade or how to you know find the right gradient or color for these um these brands when i'm dealing with health and beauty so someone i think there was one we did um ages ago called eve makeup and whatnot and and the lady just wanted to have like you know, a very uh, authentic uh, scented oil kind of feel to it because again, she was using a lot of natural products. And yeah, when it came to the thought process of that, I was thinking, yeah, when I go to places like, um, like these, uh, you know, these, these, these like um, a lot of these Arabic um, or I would say um, Persian like shops where they sell like proper nice perfume scented oils, it's in like a glass bottle. It looks like a potion. It looks like something you will see, like, you know the ones there, like in a nice big glass bottle, but it's a green liquid or it's a blue liquid or so. So I was thinking of that in my head whilst designing and creating this. This is why I was trying to explain to you guys about the relevance with some of these stuff that these moors have done. So the alchemy, um, that's very, very interesting to see that. But, and there's one other clip, because obviously, again, um, you have to remember, yeah, when you're in a situation where you've got control, so just say, for example, let me make it relevant to today, yeah? You're a, uh, you're, you're a, an investment builder, I don't know, you're, you've, got, you've got money, you've made an investment on some land, yeah? Let's just say you've bought some land in, uh, let's just, I'm going to use in UK, for example. So say you bought some land in Birmingham. So for those of you who are overseas, there's a place called Birmingham in the UK. And this land is like literally, you know, derelict. Um, it's, you're told it's derelict. You're told that there's nothing that's worth, you know, for this land. It's very dirty, very filthy. 
and it's very like um, you know like the, the people that live there don't live in that particular land but live around it or if they do live within it it's like they haven't got no um, understanding of the worth of the land itself so they just see it from what the person that has sold it to them sees it as well which is very important because again some people if they don't find worth but they're in positions of power they will literally make that area or that land look a mess and due to their ignorance of not just understanding things further or just understanding agriculture it could be you know whatever they will now lose value do you see i'm coming from and it's just very important when you're in power or when you're in positions of power or control i would say so you come in there you buy the land and you're like okay shit i've got the land for cheap there's nothing to do but again you have hope you have passion you have creativity and you're like you know what um i'm seeing these kids here running around and you know they're just naturally living like they're not really complaining about their situation they're just happy and then you're thinking wow why are they so happy and you get to talk to them they're like well you know what all the land is this and that and blah 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 you know we still have this big massive tree that gives us all the fruits that we want okay show me where this tree is and then you go to this tree and you're seeing this big imagine this big massive tree blossom with fruits I'm just using this as an example this is not like real i'm just trying to explain to you guys hypothetically so then you see that tree and you're like you know what just from that one tree out of this whole entire land i'm going to make something out of this so that tree you eat the fruit you enjoy it and you then say you know what i want to help you guys where i'm from we've got paved streets so i'm going to create a system where if your guys are trying to get from one end of the land to the other end of the land you know there's going to be a pathway that's going to be smooth and it has to be kept clean so in order for you guys to walk properly so you're not walking up and down in mud chipping over stones and whatnot and you need to build this and then they're happy and then you keep going on and going on into building homes and stuff that suit that pathway or that pavement and then before you know it your thought process of the people that were living there or the people that live in there that were you know in that mess are now starting to think wow like there's hope i can breathe life now into this place that was once a pile of shit do you see i'm coming from so now back to the moors it's like this is what they've done with europe and through the art and architecture they've built so much amazing things and again back to the mosque now um they've developed a writing on the wall because i'm gonna listen i'll let you play i'll play this clip and then i'm gonna let i'm gonna explain it after so it's, it's by a guy called rick steves um and it's on his youtube travel called travel talks and yeah just listen up for it what you what my man's got to say yep the moors have a huge impact on european culture very sophisticated beautiful culture in so many ways very smart a lot of the great thinking of classical greece was lost to europe absorbed into islam and given back to europe through the moors in spain now of course when you have moorish art it cannot have pictures of people or statues you have calligraphy you have Quranic verses, you've got propaganda phrases, you've got praises of praise, praises about the, the, the prophet, and so on. And when you go to a church, you'll see a statue of, of, of St. Peter or a statue of Jesus or Mary. You go to a mosque, you can't see a statue. What you see is a banner with calligraphy writing in a very beautiful way that would say Muhammad or whoever, the, whatever prophet they're celebrating. So it's equivalent of a church, but they can't have images. So you get the calligraphy and you see that in those mosques. Right, so 
for those of you who got that, I mean, I don't know if you've paid attention and listened to what he said about the calligraphy. You're now starting to see one of the most famous font styles or font types being birthed into existence. Now, I'm not entirely sure how it was existing before then, but from it being introduced into Europe, into what we call now, you know, the Renaissance and whatnot, because of the Islamic belief system, they believed then they didn't want to, um, they don't believe in like idols and idolistic worship. So again, in terms of them giving, like the, obviously like the Catholic church or other, church of, um, other churches would have like statues of Mary or the Madonna and child or, you know, whoever, St. Peter, for example, they would give their praises and their adoration via writings. So now you're seeing how these people have developed calligraphy fonts and um, again that's been inspired into handwritten fonts into italic writing and so on and so forth so through amazing inventions and architecture and art you're now seeing the birth of things that will later um, later on become graphic design that will later on become creative arts you know when you're looking at stone walled castles this is where a lot of these ideas and concepts came from before it got into um, Great Britain. It was the Moors that invented a lot of these stone wall castles. If you see some of the stone wall castles in Morocco, I was in Marrakesh last year and the year before that, um, and the year before that as well. That's actually kind of mad. But um, yeah, some of these places I've traveled to and I was thinking, wow, like I went to Essawara and I was thinking, okay, there's a lot of like these, why has the pier got like a, you know, a stone wall castle, but it's older than some of the castles that we're seeing in Great Britain today. And the guys were explaining to us, yeah, the Berber people are the ones that built this. And obviously the Berber people are a part of the um, big Moorish civilization because they were the ones that came out of Morocco and Algeria and in places there as well. And parts of Northern Senegal into Europe and Portugal, Spain, all these places. But anyway, that was just a history, a brief history, obviously, on the Moors. And I wanted to explain that because of art and agriculture today and how I believe graphic design today is just involved in reshaping the world because you guys have to understand it from this way, yeah? When we're dealing with graphic design, yeah? I don't think I've actually... Have we actually gone over the definition of graphic design? Like, I've actually showed you guys the definition of graphic design. I know some graphic designers may know already, or you may not know. But we are the definition podcast. So yeah, let me just give you guys a definition of graphic design. So the, graph the definition of graphic design is the art or skill of combining text and pictures in advertisements, magazines, or books. So I would say if we was to go deeper into that, it's also known as a communication design. So when an art and practice of planning and projecting ideas and experiences with visual and textual content, you know, the form it takes can be physical or virtual and can include images, words, or graphics. The experience can take place in an instant or over a long period of time. You know, the work can happen at any scale from the design or a single postage stamp to a national postal signage system. 
you know, it is intended for a small number of people, such as one of or limited edition books of exhi exhibition designs, and it goes on and goes on. Now, did you guys understand that? I'm going to go through certain parts again. It is also known as a communication design. It can take forms or can be taken as a physical or virtual form, which can include pictures, words or graphics. This is a key one. I think one that this describes it at the most highest. Yeah. The experience can take place in an instant or over a long period of time. It goes back to my previous podcast with the investment part two. When I'm talking about Coca-Cola, when I'm talking about Pepsi and BP, how these logos are only really getting changed every 10, maybe seven to 70 years. Obviously not individually, but this is throughout the three businesses combined. Like a lot of them hadn't changed their logo for so long because with the investment, with the right amount of people and the team, they have turned around and put in so much effort into the communication part of the design because that's what graphic design is. Literally, you're communicating to an audience, this is what the product or this is what the story is or this is who I represent or this is what I stand for. So when you're seeing Louis Vuitton when you're seeing Chanel, for all my ladies out here that love Chanel, you automatically see wealth. You see uh, bespoke fashion. You see uh, 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 and, and, and a brand that's like, oh, Chanel, wow. If I walk in the room, if, I, if my woman walks in the room, or my mother walks in the room wearing Chanel, and you're not wearing Chanel, you can either feel two ways, offended, or amazed <laughs> offended because she's flaunting it amazed because you want to be that or you want to wear that do you see where i'm coming from i'm just using those brands as an example like again the way people are behaving and going on right now creatives and entrepreneurs and graphic designers i'm starting to see the doors open again to a new age of creativity and it's so ironic that I've built my business and created it and called it New Motive World of Creativity, being New Motive, coming out of a um, an understanding or a system where you know you're told to go to university, and then once you work hard, sweat hard, do all the assignments, do all the deadlines, you know, even that term, I don't even like that term deadline, because in your mind state, when we're dealing with your mind state. Yeah, and someone's telling you there's a deadline to hand in this work. You literally think it's life or death. Like you take it that seriously that you pump your body with toxic drinks such as Rockstar, Relentless, Red Bull to keep yourself up at night to finish off the work. Like you don't even speak to anyone. You don't socialize. You just get straight stuck in. But it's detrimental to your health because again, the universities are only breeding us to work full time for another corporation. And I get it cool people want to work and have jobs and just do that that's fine but i'm talking about the graphic designers that care about themselves the graphic designers that believe that they're more than what they're worth you know 
and then I'm coming out of that to then be told that, right, okay, you want to do design, you want to do visual effects animation, you want to do any form of creativity or digital design, you're going to have to run. And if, for those you don't know what running is, for those overseas, I don't know if it's different, but running basically is when you're like serving tea and coffee to the CEOs or the bosses or the higher or the junior animators or designers in the company. Yeah, literally, like the whole entire day. You're booked on for seven hours, you're serving tea and coffee, and you're doing little bits here and there. I had a friend, right? Um, very, very talented visual effects artist, extremely talented. And um, they had him running for about a year. In, um, I'm not gonna name the company, but they had him running for a year. Um, I'm not gonna name the company because I don't, I don't know how my friend, I don't wanna get my friend in trouble and anything like that because you know, I, if it was me, I would say it, but you know, cause it's him, I don't want to, you know what there? Start putting people into the lines then and they can't fight. I don't want to do that. That's, that's not fair. But anyway, he, he literally was running for them for about, I think a good year. And they were making him serve tea and coffee to a point where they would also, I think they had one of his, one of my other friends as well. And they said, right, you know what, what we're going to do is this year. We're going to make you guys clean the computers at night. So there's going to be a night shift you're going to have to do. So you're going to be cleaning the computers and the desktop and the studio at night time. To a point where they were almost going to sack their cleaner because these guys were doing a good job of cleaning. Not because they're professional cleaners. Fuck off. No. They're doing it because they're that hungry to get appreciated. They're that hungry just to work and build, I mean, work with the company. You know, so I'm coming out of this. I'm coming out of this and I'm hearing all these stories. This is like 2011, 2011. I'm like, raw, like, fuck all this, man. This is, this is tired. I'm not doing that. And I wasn't as, I wouldn't say at that time, I mean, I wouldn't say I was better than my friends at all in design. Like they were, they were very, very good in what they did. Very, very talented, very, very skilled. But my integrity was much stronger than theirs. And I said, look, like, I'm not no brilliant designer. I have got confidence in myself and I do believe what I do deliver in my creative and art is, is worth something more than just fucking running and getting tea and coffee. So it was very hard for me to make that decision. So I didn't understand what was going on, obviously, because a lot of people were siding with the industry and wanting to go to work for them, saying, look, just run for two years, three years. What's the point? So I said, nah, I'm going to have to sit back and really, really think about this. So I said, you know what, if I get a full time job, because again, when I was trying to go to the banks to get like business loans and whatnot, they wanted so much stuff that it was just too confusing for me. Like they wanted a business plan, but it had to be done a specific way in order to get specific funding. And then they wanted, I'll go to a next bank and they're like, well, put this in your business plan or we want to know more. I'm just like raw, like, and then I remember watching, who was it? I can't remember. I don't know. I don't think it was Gary Vee at the time. It wasn't Gary Vee. It was one of those entrepreneurs. I can't remember who it was. It might've been Robert Kawasaki. It might've been him. Rich Dad Poor Dad, it might have been him anyway. They were just like, look, like, if you're that passionate, make it work for you, fund it yourself. That like, there is ways where you can actually fund it yourself. Like, if you've got like a part time job, if you can move into your grandmother's house or one of your aunties, if they've got a spare room, you can move in there and stay there where you don't have to actually pay bills and whatnot, but you can just help contribute a little amount each month and then work full time. Yeah raise the funds to start your business and then start it. So I was thinking, raw. I never actually really thought of it like that. So I did that when I got a full-time job. 
um, worked as a train dispatcher for East Coast Railway for about eight years. And yeah, as time went on, that started to fail because again, when you're getting consistent money each month and you've got a business to run, sometimes you can get comfortable and sometimes you can get very, very complacent and forget that, rah, shit, I need to... So I, I personally, I need, look, don't get me wrong. There's some guys that do it and make it work, cool. And, and, and you know, all props to them. But for me personally, I'm a person that I work off of, um, you know, experience. Um, it's one of my best teachers. And I, I believe that I needed to be in the field 100%. I couldn't be in the field 50 or 40 or 60 or even 75%. So I needed to be in there 100%. And that's what I did. I put myself in the field and it was tough. Of course it was tough. When I was working full time, I was freelancing. Then I registered the business when I got Sol and Wayne on board at the time and um, some other people as well. And then, yeah, then things changed. People had creative differences. People left. Then it got back to just me again and Sol. And then it was like, okay, well, what do we do from here? But as I started to realize and grow, I just said to myself that, you know what? If you just stay true to yourself, no matter what happens, someone or most people would recognize that and join with you. Sometimes it's not always an A-list person or celebrity or artist that, it may just be your friend, maybe another designer, or maybe someone else that's, you know, that, that, that gets what you're doing. And then you can work together to build, or if not, you just keep going and going because again, you don't know if you might be the new age more coming in to civilize a dark age Europe. Do you see where I'm coming from? Or a dark age world. You don't know if you could be the new creative or the next designer to come in and change things. And I've been reading a lot of books. I've been seeing a lot of documentaries on YouTube and just following a lot of people like even Nipsey Hussle, you know, entrepreneur and... Um, rap artist and label owner as well like I love that guy man that guy is proper real like one of the realest guys out there man and um yeah man I remember him talking about the story of his um his journey and you know him having a studio and then obviously feds coming to raid it um and locking it off and then putting him in jail and literally like that was like I think 50 grand's worth of equipment that went down the drain and you know he was proper upset he lost all that money and you know he had to go back and forth, um, you know, and just say, look, I have to put the business on hold now. I need to get this money back up and do things differently. Even with um, the story about his brother. I remember his brother, he was explaining about how his brother, um, you know, coming off the roads um, or that street life in L.A. had managed to save, you know, quite a lot of money. And I think his brother had a case and he was going to jail or something like that. So his brother had saved like 250000 So this is a quarter of a mil. And he put it in like an airtight safe yeah buried it deep in the ground in the back of his mum's yard and you know no one knew about it and yeah like so his brother went and did his time came out now i don't know exactly how much time his brother did but he came out now and literally went to dig up the money and the whole entire thing was rotten like literally the whole entire thing was covered in dirt like Term, well, not termites, but ants and bugs, and it was rotten. That like the money was, so he's like, can you imagine? You saving all that money, banking on it, putting it down aside, and then saying to yourself, 
yeah, I'm going to come out and, you know, I'm going to be good. And, and then finding out that that money is rotten, is spoiled. What? Oh, I'll be getting mad. I'll be so depressed and hurt. And I remember him saying, him and his mum were, like, were trying to clean it up, trying to clean it up, and they're trying to get whatever they can, but it's peak. Literally, it's peak. Like, even if you lose, like, it's, it's mad. And that taught me a lesson. I learned from that. I said, you know what? If I'm ever going to save money again, it needs to be towards an investment, period. I can have cash for emergencies, but then again, if I have seven or nine different incomes which I've developed for myself, then the emergency now becomes a stream. So if the emergency, for example, requires me to live off, I don't know, a, a million pounds, yeah, for that one year, but then it, the emergency gets strung out and strung out to actual an actual situation, if I'm already earning two point whatever mil, or even if I'm earning 40 grand a month from this specific investment, I won't have to worry about saving the money or putting it down because that stream of income is consistent for as long as that business is running or whatever that is that, you know, that income is consistent. That's what Mark Cuban was saying, you know, saving is for suckers. He doesn't believe that saving is, is it doesn't make sense. Why have you got, you know, you speak to some of these old school generation and it's like, they've got like, they've got a hundred grand, you know, saved in their account and they give, you know, 60K to their daughter to buy a house in London. And you're like, all right, cool, but it's for a house for her to live in. And the house is nice, it's brilliant, but it's like, you just saved a, how much, how many years, I don't know, it even took you to save that amount of money and you give 60K to your daughter to buy a house. Why not give her 60K to start her own business or encourage her to do that? So that's 60K that you spend on a deposit for a house that's gonna keep you in debt until you die, period. Because we all know already how expensive houses are, especially in the UK, in London. Um, how are you, how is that going to benefit you? Like, I would put that into an investment. Like, okay, cool, you want to buy a house in London? You better be renting that shit out. You're not living in there. Move somewhere outside of London with your family because, again, it's about the quality of life. So, yeah, you could tell your friends at work, oh, I'm, you know, I've got a house in London, this and that. But in the, the day, you're living with something you can't afford. What happens if you're, you lose your job because they were working at the time? What happens if you lose your job? What happens then? You tell the bank, oh, I've lost my job now. Or, you know, how are you going to pay your mortgage? Then, then before you know it, after a few payments down the line and, you know, red letters, the bank takes your house back. So all the money you've invested has just gone down the drain now. You know, and obviously there could be other ways you can get it back and there could be other ways that, you know, I'm just explaining to you guys hypothetically a situation. But back to the design process now. And it's just brought me back to my point of just how other entrepreneurs and creatives are changing the world right now and I love it, I love it because there's no escaping in 2019. If you look at 2019 of, of, of a late, we're only in what, February? Like we're second month in 2019 and bare shit has happened. But creatively, I wanna highlight some entrepreneurs um, and some people in the graphic design industry as well. Um, there was another clip I wanted to play to you guys. Let me see if I can find this clip. Alright, so you've got graphic designer Michael Beirut, if I'm spelling it right. Right, and there's another clip I wanted to play with you of him. Now, basically, it's a video of him talking about how to change the world. You know, 
and obviously yeah, he's a world-renowned graphic designer as well. I'm, I'm, if I'm correct, I'm sure he's part of the Pentagram. I'm sure he's part of Pentagram still. But anyway, um, he was a protege of design legend Massia, Massi, Massimo uh, Viginelli. Yeah, Massimo Viginelli, I think it is, if I'm pronouncing it right. But anyway, let me play this clip to you guys. One second. When you're working with a brand that's been around for a long time, a brand with a great history like Saks Fifth Avenue, that history is part of the material you have to work with. And one of my designers was really getting into the detail and had blown up just a tiny fraction of that cursive logo on their computer screen. And I remember seeing that from across the studio here at Pentagram and just seeing that one detail isolated, and I thought, wow, that looks really, really fantastic. It just looked new, it looked abstract, it looked animated, it looked vigorous. Also, it kind of looked familiar. We said, okay, what if we just took the logo, subdivided it into a bunch of smaller squares, then took each one of those squares and blew it up and used that as a puzzle piece. And it was just one of those remarkable things. I remember literally clapping my hands and saying, this is no way to do this wrong. Every single way you do it seems to really look cool. I found that if you want to make something look new, it's much more startling to start with something old and kind of keep the keep something about the oldness of it, but present that old quality in a new way. Right. So, I don't know if right. Did you guys hear that? If you want to relatively start something new and look at something, I think he said, what, what did he say? Let me go back to that clip again. Let me go back and play that again. Just so we can, you know, grab every, every, every detail of what my man's saying, because I think it's very, very powerful. It's very, very important. It looked animated, it looked vigorous. Also, it kind of looked familiar. We said, okay, what if we just took the logo subdivided it into a bunch of smaller squares, then took each one of those squares and blew it up and used that as a puzzle piece. And it was just one of those remarkable things. I remember literally clapping my hands and saying, this is no way to do this wrong. Every single way you do it seems to really look cool. I found that if you want to make something look new, it's much more startling to start with something old and kind of keep, the, keep something about the oldness of it, but present that old quality in a new way. So you start something new and keep the quality or something old to preserve, obviously to create something new and you basically preserve the old quality. That's what it was, preserving the old quality. And again, going back to the history lesson I, I was talking to you guys about earlier, about the Moors. Right now, you're finding with graphic design and logo design, it's becoming very popular right now, again. Um, apparently it was, there was a big dip back in the early 2000s and whatnot. But the reason why it's become popular now is because of the movement of people, the way people are thinking. You know, the idea he's talking about in this clip here is from a logo for a company called Saks. Um, basically what it is, is they're on New York High Street um, and in Times Square. And they're trying to create a, a map that people basically they, 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 they are, oh no sorry i'll start let me start again i think 
I don't know if it's Times Square or Saks Company or wherever it is, are actually trying to encourage people to walk more. I think it is actually New York and Times Square. Encourage people to walk more places, encourage people to actually, you know, um, find, you know, pathways, avenues and whatnot. Because again, right now the whole world is trying to turn green and be more eco-friendly and also get to understand a bit more of the culture. So, you know, if you take a walk versus taking a bus or Uber, it's a bit more exciting, especially in the sun, you know, if it's really nice and warm and hot. So anyway, um, him and his designer that he's working with, obviously, in, in his team, they've noticed that they've took the logo of Saxon Avenue and they've blew it up on the screen. Now, as they blew it up on the screen, there's a small detail that looks a bit like a square on a grid. Um, I will get this up in the visuals as well on YouTube um, just for you guys to see. Now, with that small detail, what they've done is they've turned around and said, let's blow that up and put that all into grids, into squares. And then from that, they developed the idea of creating this map that was so clear and concise that you could easily read it. Because again, um, most maps, and, I, and I'll play the clip further so you can understand it a bit more. I'll, I'll play it further, one second. The New York Times building was a really interesting challenge. The requirement is that every building in Times Square has to have some big signs on it. So, it's, so Times Square can continue to look like Times Square, oddly enough. The ordinance requires you to actually attach signs to the building. It can't just be painted on the building, it has to be physically attached. We realized that if you took the logo of the New York Times and decomposed it really into a bunch of very narrow horizontal strips, you could make each one of them shape like a little t sideways teardrop and then take those and mount them like that on the ceramic rods so that when you look at them from underneath, you're kind of seeing the projecting parts and they all kind of fill themselves in so it looks opaque from down below on the street. But if you're looking at it from the other side, from the inside of the New York Times building, you look right through them and you're barely aware of them. There's something just so um, amazing when you see work that you've done that has been in your head and on your drawing board and in your notebook and in meetings. It lives that way for months. And when finally it's kind of introduced into the world, it is like sort of a really exciting, fun moment. What I do for a living, sometimes I'm amazed I get paid for it. I'm so grateful that I get to do something that I, always, that I wanted to do since I was a little kid and that I still can have fun doing it. So he goes on to talk about um, how they basically made this map, uh, how they advertise this map really. And he talks about the New York Times Square building having the New York Times logo across it. And it's basically made up of these metal strips that form obviously the font, the letters, and then as you can see it from when you're walking on the street. But he's saying when you're walking on the street, you can see a projection of it if you're looking up versus when you're inside the office of the building you're looking through the windows through the sign you can't really you don't really pay attention to it because you're looking through now the best way for them to advertise that map that they built was they had to he looked at that structure of the new york times um that architecture structure and thought hmm if i'm advertising that's what you said in the in the, in the video if i'm advertising most things in New York Times Square, they want it to be literally big on big billboards so it can feel like New York Times Square. Because again, you know, Times Square, news information, all that kind of stuff. So 
Ain't it amazing how he's took that idea and projected the map in such a way so when you're walking, you're literally looking up, you're thinking, oh shit. So I'm over here and I could walk from there to, it actually grabs your attention. So it forces you to, you know what? If I've got a map here, I don't have to take a cab that's like three blocks or four blocks down the road. You know, I can actually just walk via this map. And I feel like the psychology of how he thought about this, the thought process of creating a map, creating a design from what he was saying. And he, he says something very interesting, something that's been in his head, that's been in his, his notebook, that's been on his drawing board for such time. And just seeing it out there does a lot for him, makes him feel very like, you know, amazed and very proud of what he does and gives him that hope and impression. There's a lot of you guys right now that have ideas and thought processes and concepts that you may not believe in or may not understand or may not have the right designer to illuminate or ignite that brand or illuminate that vision. But you don't really get how powerful it can be if you just did it. You're sitting on knowledge and creativity that's going to help change the world. Now, who, him doing that map, how else do you think London or Tokyo or Paris are going to follow suit when it comes to create? Because remember, the, the, all these major cities are all going green. Let's keep it 100. They're all going green. You know, so this could be a new innovative way of encouraging people to respect their environment. And you see where I'm coming from with design changing the world. You know, I'm gonna move on to the entrepreneurs now and the creators because again, like, um, I've learned one thing recently in 2019 that a lot of people are creating businesses via a lack of something in their local community or in the world. I'm gonna give you some examples now, yeah? So you've got uh, young entrepreneurs, this is of um, startups, uh, startups.co.uk and you've got these young entrepreneurs now there's one guy called uh, I think it's Akshay or Akshay Ruparali or Ruparelia um, he's a 19 year old um, happens to be a millionaire estate agent at 19 years old he's a very lucky guy I wouldn't say lucky um, I would say very well deserved if that's what you've done at the age of 19 and basically you know yeah, he's, he was a student and as he was studying, he came up with an idea of basically, because, you know, a lot of students will, you know, students will go through a lot of studying at A-levels and there's one thing they often, like, forget um, is that when you're dealing with accommodation and, like, you know, moving into your accommodation, a lot of people just don't even bother. They just go with what's easy. So with me, I was lucky enough to have advice from my sister um, who previously went to university like many years before me she said look like if I was you don't stay on dorms I was like why not she goes one is expensive um, so that's coming out of your your maintenance loan that you get to have as money for you to you know survive at uni or whatever and she was like um, and two because the people there I mean the dorms environments are very much party like noise like uh, there's a lot of bullshit that goes on and she goes, if you're going to university to learn and focus, 
especially for the course that you're doing, you're gonna need your peace and quiet. You're not gonna be hearing someone playing loud music or someone banging down the door three in the morning or having bloody cake fights inside the dorm. Find somewhere else to live. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, I looked at private accommodation. So it's literally just renting. So I told the guys that look, you know, the landlords. So I went into these websites and, I, you know, we speak with landlords that weren't there, but it was very hard to communicate with them and let them know that I'm a student, I'm moving into this house. And it was very, it was a bit off. So this guy now, um, Akshay, um, has basically created a business called Doorsteps. And um, I'm going to read just part of it now. So basically, uh, where are we? Um, so Doorsteps um, is a concept he developed during his second year of A-levels. And it's an online and offline agency that operates with hybrid model embracing the use of modern technology. So it's been previously described as like the Uber of the property world. And he hires self-employed local property consultants to the number of properties to sell it at, at a given time. A process that cuts um, overheads and is massively, and it also allows buyers to take more control of the process as well. So what it does is basically help students find properties without having to pay these crazy mad state agent fees. And um, this is an experience that he had himself, um, you know, and he says, look, he aims to revolutionize the archaic and backwards UK housing market by offering a 97% discount on home selling. So he just feels like um, when he was, when he was obviously moving house, he was shocked at the levels of like commission that estate agents were charging for what he saw as like a, a normal, simple task. And it is true. You know, you're moving out. Some of these estate agents like, I remember moving out um, a few years back and there were like some stages wanted 400 pound besides my deposit, besides my first month's rent. And I was like, what's the 400 pound for? Admin fees. And I walk into the stages and there's like six of them working on it. I'm like, what, what, what's the, I don't understand. He's like, yeah, basically it's 150 for an admin fee for like paper documents. I'm like, brother, you're printing out my documents. <laughs> I get it, you're typing up whatever, but a lot of these things are templates. You're not typing up a brand new contract for me specifically. It's a template you're following and you're just adding my name to it. But he's charged 150 pounds for that. Then it was like another 200 pounds for, um, you know, taking people around the houses and all that. And in my head, I just thought like, nah, that's not right. That's why I went with um, Open Rent at the time. Um, who basically cut all that bollocks with the estate agents and they just basically become the middleman negotiated between you and the landlord. So very similar to what Doorsteps is, but again, an experience that he believed wasn't working for him and his family. And this is a guy that's coming from, um, you know, a child of two deaf parents. So he acts as a carer for them now as well. So, you know, and you can only imagine the struggle. You know, you've got two deaf parents you're trying to move and you've got a state agent trying to rip you off and they probably will take um, more advantage of people that are not understanding of you see where I'm coming from or have disabilities and he, as much as you think that nah they wouldn't do that he would dare do that you may not do that but there's other people that will take advantage of that you know that's how horrible the world is today and again you know it's, it's just disgusting so another entrepreneur again we've got called Alice uh, Livin or Livelyan and basically she's like um an Instagram um, sort of personality as well, and also a personal trainer. But again, you know, she used to eat a lot of bad food. Um, she was a, a, a junk food addict, always tired, always uncomfortable in her body, and she decided to transform her diet, you know, which obviously transformed her life. 
and I've always said this as well because I'm being plant-based and vegan as well for how many years you know when you change small things in your diet especially like with sugar like I learned with with sugar when I decreased a lot of the sugar like when I cancelled sugar out of my diet so I'm talking about you're having tea adding sugar you're having coffee adding sugar you've got um uh you've got a plate of food and you know on a plate of rice and whatnot you haven't even tasted the food and you're adding salt when I started to cut down all these things I realized there was a dramatic drop in addiction. So I was addicted to watching movies. I was addicted to, you know, playing, like not even games, but just like tuning into nonsense online. I just got, I got an addiction for nonsense that wasn't really relevant in my life. Like I would want to know, I would want to watch that this online. I would be like, no, I need to tune into this. I need to, but it was because when I researched, they said with sugar and salt, when you add these, when you take in a lot of these like acidic foods, these things spark a lot of these emotions and senses in your body that make you overload with hormones and emotions. So where you would normally wake up and be like, ah, I go gym, come back home and you have like a, you know, a glass of orange juice and have a breakfast. Because of these, these acidic foods and these addictive, these sugar additives as well in your diet, that gym gets canceled because again, you know, you can't wait to have your sugar inside your breakfast. So you're like, F gym, I can't be asked. And then you wake up in the morning and it's like you find yourself biting into a cake. <laughs> a cake from last night that you bought or a cake that you got two, two to three days ago from Asda. You bite into a cake the first thing in the morning. You haven't even brushed your teeth, but it's like, oh, I want some cake. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I learned. Anyway, this girl, she founded a group. Um, so yeah, so she kept on doing what she was doing, you know, posted a lot of stuff on Instagram, became a, an Instagram sensation. And basically, um, you know, she started to help other people by uploading pictures of her meals and Instagram and whatnot, showing people about her diets and personal training routines. And um, she joined the live, I think she joined Lively Gym or Living Gym and then, you know, became adherent to like London's Muscles Bikini Guide. And yeah, just kept being an inspiration. She dropped two sizes from 12 to an eight. And, you know, as time went on, she became to become more inspired in, in, uh, <laughs> sorry I lost my tongue here she became to become she became to be sorry uh, more inspirational and um, again by experience of something she felt was wrong a lot of people are doing this right now cancelling out junk foods and I'm happy um, although there's a lot of things with the vegan replacements like vegan burgers and vegan meats you know substitutes there's a lot of stuff in there as well like soya and you know it's not really but i'm happy that at least people are starting to know they're starting to realize and you know as we go on you've got uh ed hollands from driven media um founder of driven media i know these guys are young you know that alice uh, the girl that spoke about earlier she's 24 um, um, Akshay, the doorsteps founder, he's 19. Ed Hollins is 23. And uh, basically, he's sitting inside a cab, uh, getting to work right now. And he obviously dropped his fiance off and uh, he noticed that there was just basically these blank trucks that were like stuck in traffic. And it just got him thinking that, you know, I'm looking at these blank trucks and just stuck in traffic. Why don't I find a way to advertise people's businesses or brands on these trucks because again these trucks are always in traffic every time i'm dropping my girlfriend off every time i'm going somewhere i'm always seeing these trucks so you know what 
but charge people or create a service where people can actually just advertise their work on these trucks. And these trucks have to do a minimum, I think he set it to make sure these trucks have to do a minimum of five hours a day, five days a week to keep the advertisement visible. But, you know, imagine you're sitting in traffic or you're someone that consistently takes cab or Uber or whatever, and you're seeing, you're having trouble, like, you know, finding a place to live. And then you see doorsteps <laughs> being advertised on a truck next to you that's in traffic. You're like, oh, okay, cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, so obviously he's evolving marketing and advertising to a, a different level. But again, by experience, something he's experienced, that's a lack of. And it's a lot of these young guys. This is this shows you how bad that our nation is failing. Like a lot of these um, societies that we live in right now are failing the young people. I'm not trying to say that young people can't create. And, I mean, yes, they can. They can be innovative. They can be creative without having that. But it's just showing you already, like, you know, how a lot of these people are doing things. You've got um, uh, Effie, um, Effie, Effie Wana. Um, Fred, Frederick, um, Nigerian girl who invented a website called Chiku's London. I think it's more to do with Nigerian food, Nigerian dishes on a tapas style kind of plate for sharing. And um, she, you know, she's gone back and forth um, from France to London. And yeah, uh, you know, she worked for a PR firm, uh, went to Cambridge University. And same thing, you know, her and her brother just realized that, you know, they wanted to celebrate their heritage more and they believed that there was a lack of that uh, when it came to Nigerian food and culture. So they wanted to bring that into London. And this is just people just innovatively waking up and saying, you know what, you know, I need to, I need to build um, something that's valuable to me, that works for me, but also works for everyone else. And yeah, a lot of them did go to university. A lot of them may have that opportunity and you could argue that and say, well, university could have bred these people. Fair enough. But either way, the process is very important, but it's the end result that matters. You know, there was another lady in Ghana, uh, Bernice Dapper, um, who is a human resource management and marketing for uh, a company called um, Commercial Management in the UK. And yeah, she basically went to do something on her own in her own hometown because she realized that, you know, I'm from Ghana as well. So, you know, Ghana's got a lot of natural minerals and resources, but where people are not really educated on how to recycle your minerals, recycle your, um, your, your, your waste to create a more better and healthier and green environment. She actually found a way and said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna create a green initiative where I'm gonna build bicycles out of bamboo. Yes, I'm not lying. Bicycles out of bamboo, yeah? She's created bicycles out of bamboo and said to herself, look like, if I can get people riding bamboo bicycles to work and, and look, you go to Ghana, yeah? Where you get someone that will commute from say London, Kings Cross to probably say, I don't know, let's just say maybe Dawson, probably a bit further than that, or maybe into Elephant and Castle, or maybe into, I don't know, Holborn on a pedal bike. These guys will commute literally from one town to the other. So it's like, imagine you riding a pedal bike every day in the morning from, let's just say, uh, London, Euston, all the way to Uxbridge. <laughs> I'll shit you not, these people will actually ride a pedal bike all the way if it works for them and it makes sense. So she wanted to use that and say, look, 
a lot of these kids that are around these places where the bamboos grow and are just not really doing anything and then they're in rural urban um places where like you know there's high unemployment so she created this initiative and you know made a certain amount of jobs as well and she's trained more than 35 young people you know who are also disabled and um are helping her with her whole bites committee and whatnot and they're committed to actually you know improving the standard of young living in Ghanaians. but again she saw something in her in her and her um her country and her generation that was lacking and you know what's funny a lot of these people are doing it themselves the government ain't helping nobody nobody these politicians that are sitting up in parliament and all these other places arguing and talking about brexit and whatnot like we are literally going through dark ages right now with our society so i just wanted just to share this with you guys today so you guys could understand that how design and creativity is working not if or how it's working and you guys need to really tap into these things i, I gave you guys the history lesson at the beginning because i wanted to show you that it's, it's been done before it's been done before like a lot of stuff you're experiencing now is a repeat of history if you research i love, I love history and culture you know so i've researched a lot into those sort of stuff and when i'm seeing parallels i have to I feel compelled to bring it into, you know, the definition podcast, into my work, into all the stuff that I'm doing. So you guys can understand what's in my head. This is not for like, you know, a hundred likes or a thousand streams. I'm doing it for value. I want you guys to really get that the power is within you. You don't have to get approved by a company at university and run for them for two, three, four years. You don't have to go and spend, what, 60K now? university fees or waste on a course to teach you when you've got youtube and the how-to button like all those people that are sitting at home right now that are stuck that have ideas and don't know how to illustrate them again graphic design is a communication you need to remember that it could be visually it could be via art graphics doesn't matter it's a form of communication. There's ways that new motive can help you communicate that to your target audience, to the world. It doesn't have to be major things. It can be small things that you've literally said, you know what, I've had enough in what I'm doing at my day job, but you know one thing I love doing? You know, I really, really love creating um, handmade um, cotton. Uh, I love really knitting and creating handmade cotton um, jumpers for kids, yeah? Like I've done it for my niece and nephew every year. I've been doing it for like six, seven years. Okay, cool. Find inspiration in that and work with it. That's your purpose. Igniting a brand. Yeah, the investment is worthwhile when you're understanding your vision, when you're understanding what you need to do. Sometimes if you're lost, I get it. This is what I'm saying to you guys right now. Let's work together. You know, message me, DM me, Instagram me, email me, call me. My number's on my website www.newmotivewc.com at Instagram at newmotivewc comment on this video which is a sorry on this podcast this audio which is available on Anchor I will get the visuals up as well on YouTube so you guys can see exactly what I'm talking about and experience this and our YouTube channel is newmotivewc subscribe as well and yeah, let's have a conversation. Let's run with, let's run with things. Let's, let's build concepts and ideas. The world of creativity 
is growing and is reshaping what our current world is right now. So, although I've got my new motive, what's your new motive? We don't want to be hearing no complaining no more. We don't people people sitting on the sideline on the bench that you know talking about they could have played on the team and they could no no you guys get cancelled. 2019 has been a lot of cancelling in the last two three months, a lot of cancelling from people that are now starting to show their true colours. Who don't care about you, who don't value you. Okay, cool. Now what's your true colours? Let's see if you get handed power like the Moors or have knowledge like the Moors or, you know, ideas like them. Let's see what you do with your creativity. Are you going to change the world? Or are you going to complain with the rest? Let me know your thoughts.